there and there was silence nice. episode number 238 i had to remember it yep we, we kind of we just went over it right before we we did we, we started we did but i still had to remember it because i'm old weren't fully confident so what's going on guys oh by the mm-hmm. way jesse is here did the still work jesse no, there. I'm actually on round two now. <laughs> she was, yeah, they had to renew the subscription. You, you, so you're going to prescription strength this time. Oh, oh yeah, they bumped it up and everything. Got to put and I got to apply it twice as often. Oh, so geez. it's a real. Yeah, it sucks. It's not but, even cream anymore. You just jam a bar of that shit up there, huh? <laughs> wow. Uh, you awake, on. Nick? Oh yeah. For the three of us, it, it's been a short. Uh, day or two since we recorded yeah. last. <laughs> yep. Well, we did get a midweek show out. That was kind of nice, right? Very yep. nice. Thank so, you, Dan. So we're going to let... Uh, oh, you're absolutely welcome, Nick. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> See there? That's how that's played. Absolutely. So we're going to let Jesse go first and uh, kind of tell us, uh, you know, what, what his excuse is. What, what was he doing last week? And has he done any flying? Ooh. Excuses. Yeah. Lame, lame, lame excuses. Um, I, I don't really got any good excuses other than I'm going to waking up for work at 3.30 a.m. So going to bed at midnight doesn't doesn't work out so well. So that, that's really the only excuse. Nothing, nothing else to it. Mm. Um, luckily, the end is in sight for that couple. I hear two more weeks of this horrible work schedule. And then they officially have someone hired to backfill my old job, so I can go back to doing one job instead of two. Are they paying like you? For, are they paying you for two people? Since you're doing the work of two people, well, like I get paid for all the hours I work. If that, I think you should get two full salaries. So. Just double, it. <laughs> just double it. It's not how business works. Though. I don't think. Yeah, not, no, nah, not, not exactly. But you know, I, I, I do get compensated for working more, so it's, it's not all bad. But yeah, so been. Just working a lot lately, um, but as far as flying goes, I did get out just yesterday and finally got in some flying. So made it over, got home from work, I think it was like 3 4 o'clock, got home from work and quickly packed up all my stuff, charged up the batteries, and off I go over to Kel's parents' house to get in some flying. So first off, I got to say, I think I'm getting... This is just getting way too convenient, and I'm definitely getting spoiled by having a flying spot that close, that private, that big, and just always readily available and accessible to go fly. Because 
for me personally, it's awesome to be able to go. So yesterday out the field, you know, I drive the truck down onto the field and kind of set up the generator charging case and just basically get my normal setup going and bang out three or four flights among the electric and the nitro. Then it's like, all right, I'm going to head back up the hill, back up, you know, we're Kayla and her parents are hanging out out back up there. Go chat with them 15, 20 minutes. Let the batteries recharge and then come back down. Boom. Bang out three or four more flights. And then it's like, oh, sweet. Dinner time. Go back up there, back up to the house or the shop and sit down, eat some dinner, get done with dinner. Boom. Head back down three or four more flights. So it's kind of like just this. It's awesome to be able to, I don't know, kind of integrate, balance it out, whatever you want to call it. The Hanging out with the family because go, going over to kill his parents for dinner, yet still being able to get in 12, 13, 14 flights. So that's really cool. And hopefully throughout, you know, just throughout the summer, we usually go over there once or twice a week for dinner. So just getting in more flying and taking advantage of that situation. So as far as the flying goes, let's, uh, let's talk about each heli individually here. So the Proto started out flying that one. Um, for surprisingly for not flying for a couple weeks, um, with the whole, just other stuff going on on the weekends and whatnot, the cover project and getting all that stuff wrapped up. So not, not touching the helis in a couple weeks, everything was feeling really good. The helis seemed dialed in. Um, and I ended up getting five flights on the Protos yesterday and it was cool. Cause the first couple flights just started getting back into the swing of things and nothing too crazy. Started, you know, bringing it down a little bit lower, really just I'm having a good time. And then on flight four and five, I'm like, you know what? Let's start, like, let's get the adrenaline going a little bit. Let's try working on a couple new things. So I started revisiting some inverted autos and working on the approaches and bringing them down low and trying to do, and I mean, working on the approach under power, I should point out. So just getting back into the swing of it, getting that profile down, seeing if I can build the head speed with the motor still on. Um, before trying to go in and do full-on autos so worked on that for probably yeah two whole flights from the minute I took off all the way until I landed and I gotta say this is another you know we did the whole logging show a few shows back in the telemetry this is another huge benefit of having that current sensor on the protos because I was getting you know even though the motor was on the the whole time I kind of bumped the head speed down I think I was 1940 1950 um, and you're not really doing anything crazy taxing on the, the power system. So I was in the six, six minute and 20 second flight range, um, while I was working on this. So it was really cool to be able to stretch those out and really maximize the flight time while still not being worried about damaging the battery. So working on these inverted auto approaches and I'm like, you know what, let me just test the bailout on this just to make sure everything works i had gone through the castle setups uh set up the bailout with the v-bar using the v-bar gov um, as per the mikado website so sure enough go up just for an upright auto and hit throttle hold only click it one time which puts the helicopter into a throttle idle mode and then you know two three seconds later flip out it spools back up very quickly um very comfortable spool up speed i'm like all right sweet the auto's working great or the auto bailout's working great. So I go back up there at the end of the fifth flight to do just a normal upright auto. So take it up however high, hit throttle hold, and it's coming down and it's it's a little bit off. It's not, you know, it's not gonna land exactly where I want, but not a huge deal. So it lands in the tall grass, and I'm still in this 
this uh, throttle idle mode. Now, what I wasn't able to check because I never went through this on the bench and it was, I couldn't tell it in the air is for my setup and at the percentages that I have the throttle idle set to, it still tries to drive the motor, which then drives the head just ever so slightly. So as soon as it landed up in that long grass, it kept trying to spin the motor and ended up breaking a couple links in the head and the little washout arms. It just kind of twisted all that stuff up. So kind of a bummer there. Um, but so so why I'm 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 a little confused here, and maybe it's because I don't understand mm-hmm. the different settings you've got. Yep. The the throttle idle still spins the motor. With that, so, and this is what I need to go back and revisit, and I actually shot Nick a text this morning. I, so what I think is I can adjust the idle percentage in the transmitter, and uh-huh. just with not having gone through and done the full setup on the bench, I think I just put in the stock numbers that were on the uh, online, and not having a chance to test it on the bench, and then not being able to really tell, you know, when it's 100 feet up there if I hit into idle if it was still spinning or not just because i bailed out in two or three seconds so i'm guessing my idle percentage is just a touch high um so i'm hoping if i was to drop that that it would then enter that range where it's not all the way down to the throttle hold but it isn't to the point where it's spinning the head uh nick do you know if that's possible with the castle in the v-bar gov Mm -hmm. to where it's not it is possible yep to where it's not driving the head is that correct i just need to drop that idle percentage down a little bit Yes. Okay. So yep. you got to make sure and have um, for castle, you have to have auto rotation bailout enabled in yep. the castle software, uh, the ramp up maxed out in the castle, which yep. I think is 20. And then, um, yeah, you have to mess around with that, with that percentage. It's just, just it's a little screwy because it's a castle the way that they yep. do it, to get the motor to completely stop. Um, all the rest yep. of them, it's really easy. It's just a little different with Castle. Yeah, so, yeah, hopefully a little bit of uh, tuning on the bench and getting that percentage dialed in. I don't I don't think it's going to be an issue. It's just I didn't know it was going to happen, so I didn't get all the way into throttle hold quick enough, and it, you know how it just gets tangled up in that long grass. So not a huge deal. Have all the parts on hand, but... Nonetheless, didn't have everything with me at the field. So luckily, with having you know another helicopter and a gallon of fuel sitting there, meant I was not dead in the water. So still had another heli to fly, the N7. Um, and I was as I was going through flying the N7, put probably two or three really good flights on it. Not really you know, looking at needle settings, just kind of flying it basically where I left it the last time. And I started noticing in a hover, there's a little bit of an idle surge. Um, and this made me think back to Othello when I was first kind of putting the initial flights on that motor going, all right, well, when it was having an, cause at, at first I had a really severe idle surge. And so I was thinking when I was having that idle surge, it ended up being just a rich running condition. So kind of rechecked the needle settings and got everything dialed back into where I think it should be. And sure enough, I was like a little bit over one and a half, uh, turns out on the high needle, which Still trying to figure out that motor, get everything dialed in, but that's definitely on the richer end. Now, with that being said, it, it, I couldn't have really tell, uh, I couldn't have really picked up that it was rich in flight. The thing still had <laughs> plenty of power for how light the model was and with that blade size. So, 
just based on some of the little the little quirks and trying to figure out the motor um get you know lean it out a little bit and then started flying much much better so on the third flight in for <laughs> for the nitro just beating the thing up having a having a good time i decided to use the nick timer ah yes thank you oh yeah it's very fly. accurate <laughs> it's extremely accurate it lets you know the second there is no more fuel left in the tank that timer's going off because yeah. the heli just it shuts it turns right off. off at the same time every flight yep. yeah yeah the, <laughs> the same fuel level um so one one question i had though and i don't know i'm just i'm curious to see what your guys's opinions are on this is it actually bad for the motor do you think to let it run out of fuel with our fuel delivery systems you know there's a little bit of pressure in the tank you're feeding it through a fuel magnet it should be a pretty consistent supply until it runs out. The, the tank wasn't 100% dry when it turned off. Um, but I'm just, just curious. Do you think there's like, I mean, obviously there has to be an intermittent period of where it runs a little bit lean. Is that something you'd be concerned about doing flight after flight? Is it something you definitely want to avoid? I'm just. Nah. Could, nah, I wouldn't worry about it. Dude, doesn't, we, it doesn't matter. We've been doing it for Forever. I mean, if you think back, well, we used to run them dry and put after run oil in them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's true. The, the reason I ask is after this happened, it almost felt like there was slightly less compression uh, when turning the motor over. You know, like putting the starter wand in there and turning it over by hand, grabbing the starter wand. Um, really? And so, and I had been checking it after every flight, you know, because when I go out there to start it, I'll put the starter wand into uh, the, the socket where you, where you uh, start the helicopter. And then I'll turn it a few times just to make sure everything's turning freely. And then I'll hit the glow igniter and then I'll unpinch the fuel line and then start it. So every single flight, I'm kind of getting, you know, I'm, I'm feeling that tension or what kind of what force it takes to turn that motor over through a couple cycles. And after that specific flight, when it turned off, just, and I'm talking just ever so slightly, but it felt like there's a little bit less compression there. So that just kind of made me wonder, hmm. I wonder if running this thing completely out of fuel could have any sort of impact on the ring or how you know how tightly it seats against the sleeve. Um, I, th- I, th- so. I think there I think there's a case to be made that you can potentially do damage over a long period of time, but I I mean we've been doing that for so long. I I mean I don't run I don't do that anymore, but uh, you know yeah. all the plankers do it. Right. I mean, you've seen them. They, they all mm-hmm. run them dry. Um, I, now, could it could it be something, Dan, with like the 96 specifically? I suppose it could. Where like well, it's, it's the, such a high performing engine that. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's just a little longer stroke, same diameter, same rate, you know. I think it's negligible. I mean, I really don't yeah. know. And I'm sure someone out there is going to be able to point out some. Yeah, and I'm not. Stats. I'm not sure either. That says you shouldn't do it or you, sh- you know, it doesn't hurt or you can do it. Yeah, I just, and for now, I'm just kind of making a mental note of it. And I'll probably, um, I, this thing, this, I think this helicopter is about due for uh, some, a little bit of maintenance anyways. So I, I think it's a good opportunity to probably take a peek in there. And I'm just going to make a mental note for now. And obviously it's not something that I'm doing every single flight, but yeah, I was just kind of, kind of curious. Well, it made, you know, the, made me wonder. the reason that we, we used to do that is to get rid of all the fuel so there's no condensation. And that's really yeah. about it. Yes. It keeps the rust Because away. The, the methanol absorbs water. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you burn all that off, the only thing you got left in there is the oil. 
But if you can yeah. seal your system off, you know, seal the exhaust, which I used to do with my nitro, right, with an exhaust plug, and the throttle's not open, and you fill the tank back up. I don't think that. Uh, I don't think it matters. Yeah, I'm with you, Dan. Hmm. Yep, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it one bit. Then after, so so after this, it. I mean, it still fired up, ran great, did two more flights on it, and finally on the fifth flight, the <laughs> notorious tailwag came back, and as you can probably guess, I lo- I lost a boom support screw. <laughs> These freaking things! I is tell that, you, dude, is I, that a synergy I, thing? I I seriously get JB well, Weld, man, JB Weld. Okay, Dan, that's funny you said that because I actually have that in my notes. I'm like, okay, I know, I know the root. the The correct answer here is not permanently weld the screw into the hole. <laughs> the correct answer would be go back to the root cause, which is probably an an engine or a new motor that I'm still trying to tune and figure out and find the sweet spot that for now could be causing too high of vibration levels. At least that's kind of what I'm tentatively leading towards. Yeah, shoot, but how how but, how much have you tuned it since we saw it at Othello because it was purring at Othello. Yeah, I mean but even at and I think there's different RPMs because when it's idling, it seems to be pulsing a lot of vibrations through the entire airframe. I don't think those are high enough frequency to actually vibrate the you know loosen up a screw obviously that's probably more in a normal operating range up when i'm in idle up right but regardless this this thing keeps and it's not it doesn't matter what side it just seems to be going back and forth on either side of that boom support so it's not like it's one screw that keeps you know the same screw every single time it just it's random one so i so yeah i'm kind of and i actually wrote down do i jb weld it do i use a different loctite do i like what the heck obviously it keeps coming out Switch I, I realize it doesn't have boom support. Oh, then I'd have to sacrifice. Oh looks. my god! <laughs> then I'd have to that sacrifice. That was shameless. Shame. Reliability <laughs> and looks. That was a technically accurate statement. Oh, I'm not will. I'm not willing to sacrifice looks and reliability. I'm sorry. Just can't do it. <laughs> you know what we would have done in the in the olden days? We would have uh, dial indicated the clutch stack. To see if there was something, yeah. something going wrong there. Something going on there. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Did you get the bigger um, clutch yet? No, I haven't yet. I have not picked it up yet. And now, so another thing is not only did the boom support screw come out, I also must hit one hell of a bug in flight <laughs> because it literally took a chunk out of the leading edge of my blade. <laughs> like, oh, damn. And, and with the nitro, I didn't... You know, like once it got to the ground and I saw the blades on the ground and these are the Compass Seven Hundreds, I was like, "Holy crap! Like, what? What is this from?" And then all of a sudden, it kind of clicked. I'm like, "Maybe I do remember hearing something, or maybe I hit the boom support. You know, the screw coming out. The pre and it was. I think it was one flight back. Um, but yeah, it took a little bit of a chunk right out of the leading edge of the blade. So." Damn. There goes there goes those ones. So now I have one spare Compass Seven Hundred, and I'll have to get another set on the way for that one. So, man, altogether, geez, it's kind of a is a good trip to the field in the sense that I got out flying. It, it was just nice to get out, get the transmitter back in my hands, get some stick time, put you know six flights or five five flights on the nitro, 
six flights on the Protos. But ultimately, geez, I came home with no helis ready to fly and <laughs> didn't crash or anything. So a little bit of maintenance this weekend and tomorrow and probably Saturday morning and then hopefully get out uh, this weekend again as I have pretty much everything on hand to get both helicopters back in the air and then just get another set of blades on order to backfill for a spare set. So should be able to get everything buttoned up and back in the air quickly. Back nice. at it. So yeah, that's been, that's, that's really been kind of all I've last couple weeks only heli related things i've been up to between work and house projects so it's definitely nice to get out and fly and get some more industry. good blade has personality has soul has attitude has performance and it's got character when you finally find that blade there's a connection There's no better feeling than being able to get that blade and find sizes for all your helicopters. That's why switch blades just make sense. No shopping for one set of blades over here and the other set of blades over there. One brand, one stop. All sizes. Make the switch. When you're ready to make the switch, go to www.bkdesignsllc.com to find sizes for all your helicopters. Well, I'm glad you did something. My, my week uh, since the last recording is pretty quick. Uh, job interview one day and a bike ride the next day. Oh, how'd the job interview go? Eh, you know, it went all right. We'll see. And did you fall off the pole, or did was it a flawless performance? Flawless <laughs> performance. But I did. Ha- I did have to drive uh, about 150 miles one way to get to it. So wow. Yeah, we'll see. But um, care, care to share what what it is? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. It doesn't have anything to do with multi rotors. No, it doesn't have anything to do with multi rotors. Okay. It's I'm in the just... nurse, nursing field. Okay. Good. Yeah. Getting back to the, uh, yeah, roots, as it were, the roots. <laughs> so I did do, uh, I did start the forensics on the 300, the Gasplin 300. And, uh, it's, it's not as, it's not that bad. I started putting together a list. I'll be ordering parts probably this weekend for it. And, uh, Carrie Shirley got in touch with me and he, I, I don't, I haven't had time to investigate this, but maybe Nick or one of you guys have heard about it. Apparently, and maybe it's a standard goblin part, but there's uh I think he said something about graphite landing gear. Is that, have you have you heard about that, Nick? Graphite? Yeah. You mean the plastic landing gear? I have no idea. I and I don't have my phone near me to double check, but he did say that the G ten landing gear uh there's a different landing gear anyway out there that I need to find. It's it's stronger, apparently. Yeah, because, I would I mean, I would definitely go with the plastic. I've had freaking awesome luck. It seems to be a good balance. I mean, I will break one if I really, you know, pound it down hard. Yeah. But but it seems to be I haven't broke anything else. Yeah. It's really it really isn't that bad. I mean, I think I'll be able to uh I, I do need to double check, make sure there's nothing jammed into the carburetor or about the carburetor that might be messed up because it did land pretty hard on the carb, but 
um i think with a boom and some landing gear and uh late grips i'm back in the air with that thing uh it's, it's amazing because <laughs> how you know as i said how hard it went in it just sounded like it was going to be destroyed but uh, oh there's one thing i think i did forget to mention uh on the last show my nitro 700 mm-hmm. has a new temporary home Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. I let somebody take it home to fly it. Can you guys guess who that is? Never going to. Well, you might guess. You're going to be surprised, I think. No guesses? All right. Hold on. I'm going to try. Phil. No. (laughs) Right. George. (laughs) No. Ed. No. 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 Hempel. Really? Sean? Yeah. He was like. It was like, I really would like to try Nitro. And I said, huh, I happen to have a 700 Nitro right here that I'm not really flying if you want to take it home and play with it for a while. Oh, jeez. What did he give you? That's uh, not appropriate for this conversation. <laughs> uh, it was a, a handy. He's a sexy bitch, man. Not going to lie. <laughs> Shoot, oh, first, corners it's, first, it's, first, it's pedicure. And that, and now he's taking <laughs> favors from a dude. No, I just let him take it home to play with it, uh, as I have a tendency to do. Of course, you know, I, I've lent my 600 Nitro out to two different people now. So, you know, they fly them, have fun with them, and, and bring them back to me when they're done with them. It is what it is. Probably in better shape than what you had it before. Yeah, well, at least clean. They actually want to fly it. <laughs> at least clean. Oh, it's flyable. It just it needs a acid bath. It's been sitting in a machine shop for a year, so it's covered in metal dust and all kinds of shit. But no, it's uh, it'll be cool to see what he does with it. I I uh, told him that he can fly it till Snohomish, or if he wants to continue flying it past then, it'd be nice if he brings it back to me in working condition. That'd be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> See, not a novel concept. Now, now you see the method to the madness. I send a non-flying helicopter out to somebody and I get one after about a month or two or three, I get one back that flies. I like that. I like that approach. Shameless. Now, other than that, guys, it's, uh, it's been a short couple days since we recorded last, really not much, much time to, to let anything happen. Uh, obviously no flying in the last couple of days, but, uh, should be out this weekend. The weather is fantastic. It's that orb up in the sky that you guys don't get to see a lot. That's out every day here. It's yeah, been nice here, it's, man. It's been yeah, around I noticed that for actually. a while. I was checking the weather the other day over there, mainly because I've got like five cities that I go to a lot on my weather app. So it kind of pops up for me. No, so that was exciting. Who uh, who wants to go next? Let's be a short one. <laughs> I I'm gonna go. We're I think we'll we'll do a we'll do a little bit of a compliment sandwich because I know Nick claims he's got stuff to talk about and mine's about the same as Dan's here. So yeah, it's been a few days. Um, what have I gotten done since we recorded 48 hours ago or whatever it was? I have not flown. 
Haven't really had much of uh, of an opportunity to even think about flying. I have been wrenching a little bit. Went back and, uh, you know, after we talked the last episode about the tuning issues on the TDR2, did a little bit more research on that, and now I'm 100% confident that is my problem. So I uh, basically turned the, the sinusoidal linearizer off. Now, I think, you know, for some reason, I thought I would probably see it on the bench after I talked it through and, you know, thought it through in my head. I, I think it's so, it's so slight that it's not something that you can easily notice. So, yeah, I mean, it looks like it does all the same stuff to me, uh, but um, it is off in the fly barless system now, so we shouldn't have any issues there. Uh, did a couple of uh, bench cycles on the batteries because it was about time to do a uh, C rating check. I had mentioned last week, or uh, I had mentioned two days ago, uh, that we we were up at, I think, about 36 or so C on the packs, and that was from a week and a half or so ago. I got a number of cycles on them over the weekend. And then did a little bit of bench cycling, uh, let them cool, checked them again, and it is still up at about 36 to 36 and a half. So just confirmed that, uh, which is really nice. I got to get that data put in the spreadsheet, uh, the the RCHN battery database. Uh, let's see here. Other things. I got a phone call from Chuck at Peak Aircraft. My fuselage has arrived at his place in South Carolina for the Diablo Speed uh, from Germany, and he is shipping it out tomorrow. And and what's even worse is he wouldn't even take a picture of it for me. He's like, nah, I'm going to leave this one for you to open and see, which either means it looks really cool or it looks like shit. So <laughs> we'll have to see. But, uh, you know, I, I changed it up. It's still got the number 40, but we've got the black with the silver, gray, and white background. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm super excited about that. Looking forward to it. I'm getting a little nervous because there's not a lot of time between now and Urcha, uh, but I will do my best to get it put back together. And then I started doing, doing a little bit of sort of pre-planning for Urcha. Um, this is the, let's see here. This is the, this will be the third event that I will be traveling to with helis in my big double golf case. And, and each times that, you know, each time the two times previous, I've, I've had a little bit of, uh, I, I guess you'd call them lessons learned, you know, how to pack stuff, where to pack it. Do I break it up into three or four? small chunks or do i put it all in one big bag the the first urcha which was last year taught me you got to break it up because if you put it in one big bag not only do you get charged for oversized which is like a length thing but also overweight and when they stack those two charges on top of each other it ends up coming up to like four or five hundred bucks one way so ohb I split it up into a couple of different chunks, backpack, you know, held my transmitter and a couple of other things for carry-ons, and I got it down to, I think, 250 or so each way, 
Now I'm trying to figure out whether I can do better than that. Uh, and, and the thought that has crossed my mind is that maybe I get there by, uh, by, um, splitting it up into two golf cases, two smaller golf cases that won't ever exceed 50 pounds and shouldn't exceed the 80 or 90 linear inches that gives you the oversized baggage. And then I think that would bring it down to about 150 bucks total. Uh, problem is I got to spend about another 150 bucks to get those. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll work it out. I've got, like I said, five weeks or so. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come up with something on that. I have been spending time on the sim, which you didn't mention, Dan. I wonder, have you been simming? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Even with all the flying you're doing. Uh, I've been gone a lot lately, you know, but, um, I have been simming a little bit. It's not been consistent because I've been gone, but uh, simmed a little bit last night. I hooked the uh, computer up to the big TV, which makes it a lot easier. A lot, okay. A lot better, but it was short and quick because I was tired. But Yeah, mine has, been, mine has been the same. It has been short and quick um, in the last few weeks, but in the last couple of days, I decided I would actually try to focus a little bit more rather than just doing it because I felt obligated to do it. And it's, you know, it's working out a little bit, but I, I, I don't think I'm in the mindset. I, I think I just got to focus on flying for the next, you know, month or so, get through Urcha and then uh, regroup from there. And so, you know, I, I was thinking through that timeline and I realized that, uh, Snohomish is coming up in three weeks. Yep, that is fast. I know, I, I bet Nick and Jesse are coming. Are you going to be here, Dan? I will be there. Oh, ho, ho. okay, yes. awesome. Very cool. And then a week later, I'm at Urcha, followed by about a month later, we are at our fun fly already. I know. Summer's that screaming is, by, isn't it? It is, dude. It's blowing my freaking yeah. mind. Uh, but I, I'm excited about that. Um, I I can't wait to get to our fun fly. Uh, it's going to be better than ever. And we're going to have the outlaw grill again, which I think nice. is a big part of my excitement. But guess where else the outlaw grill is going to be? Snohomish. Yep. Nice. Oh, oh. Awesome. Ray, Reyes called me uh, about a week ago and he's like, hey, man, you think you could get me in contact with Larry? We'd really like to see if he can come out. So I gave him the info and dropped Larry a line and hopefully we will see him and his family there doing what they do. Excellent. Fried macaroni, baby. Yeah, that'll be a good one for him. Oh, yeah. And strawberry shortcakes at like one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> excellent yeah so other than that uh not 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 much going on this weekend's the long fourth of july weekend i am going to do my best to get out at least twice uh we'll see if we can do better than that and hopefully i'll have more exciting stuff to talk about next time. 
You guys all know me, and you definitely know what I look for when it comes to helicopters, and that is reliability. For several months now, in hundreds of flights, I've been flying the MSH Protos Max. I'm to the point where I have complete confidence when this heli's in the air. I know that the quality manufacturing and the amazing part support from MSH USA will keep this model at the top of my list. For those of you looking for a top-notch 700 or even an 800 class helicopter that screams quality and has an unbeatable price tag, look no further than MSHUSA.com. That leaves Nick. Yeah. I've been playing Bob the Builder over here. Bob the Builder? Well, you know, it's been, I, I kind of mentioned it a while back that I have, you know, I love to tinker and I love to modify stuff. Well, it's been a long time. I haven't really had a need to. For the most part, my models are stock. Um, I can tweak on them if I want, but I just really haven't needed to. Well, then came this little project. And the project was I really wanted to upgrade the speed controller in the 500 Sport to see if I couldn't get the Hobbywing 130 in there. So why would I want the Hobbywing 130 in there? Well, I have no problem with the Hobbywing 100 as far as current. Um, it, it seems to be handling everything like a champ. But. I wanted 14S because everyone needs a 14S 500. Yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes. I mean, right? It's on the list. Right? right. In, in fact, I think I heard someone at the field last weekend say the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I got the 130 in and I just heard some people. They were like, dude, no, it doesn't fit. Trust me on this one. I've looked at it. I tried it. I looked at it and went, oh, wow, yeah, it sure it does not fit. That's for sure. But I kind of, you know, hemmed and hawed. And so what I did is I pulled the whole hold the pulled the whole plastic piece out of the bottom of the heli, kind of that lower frame assembly. Opened it up and kind of stuck the speed controller in there. And I'm like, eh, you know, I think if we get out our favorite friend, Mr. Dremel, oh. we might be able to make this happen. And yes, yes, it took a while. Let me tell you, I hoggered the inside of that plastic piece out. <laughs> nice. Um, but I'm really proud of myself because it is so clean. And That's what it, I was going to say. Did you feel good after it? Oh, like, did it you is, feel accomplished? It is beautiful. How about this? The fit is so flawless. I have nothing securing it in. Oh, wow. Like not even zip ties or some double-sided? Nary a zip tie, nary <laughs> a single piece of double-sided tape. You think that's wise? It, oh. it, 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 it won't go anywhere. Like if you saw how tight this was, you wouldn't be worried. Yeah, and I didn't have to cram. It's just that you know how those those pieces like slide together. Right? They slide together the two halves. Yeah. It's perfectly encapsulated in the two halves. 
like in every direction. That's how flawless the the Dremel work was. It was so tight to the point where I had to take the little uh, aluminum frame braces. Mm-hmm. And you know how they're hexagon in shape? Yeah. Yeah. I had to flatten down one side of each of them to get this thing to fit in there. Wow. I mean, it is tight, but not like crammed had to push it or deform anything tight. It's just, it's, it's that tight. And I just buttoned it up about about an hour ago. Spent last night out there with the Dremel, and it was so fun to get back. I love doing that kind of stuff. I mean, I was, you know, because it, it's got the tabs on it like the 160 does to bolt it down. Yeah, those went. Had to trim the tabs off. So it's like once you start doing that and hacking on the bottom, you're committed yeah, now. Like now it's going to fit, right? That and shit I, always ends in tragedy for me. It. You know, it can, oh, but it just... I feel alive doing that stuff. Well, so do I. And I had forgot how alive I felt because it felt just awesome. I mean... There's nothing like dremeling a hole out of the side of a $4,000 1 in 50 speed helicopter. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, it was good. And, oh, it turned out so clean. It, it's weird because it's actually... Who would have thought that going 14S... In a 500 would be cleaner than 12S. But that's how it worked out because I got to take the Western Robotics BEC out. So I actually lost about like 10 grams doing this conversion. Not for the faint of heart. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely take some modding. It's kind of cool because it shifts a little bit, the weight a little bit more forward as well, which is great. Because I don't, before I actually had the Western Robotics, which is like 80 grams, it sat back actually a little bit behind the main shaft. So now all the weight's out front. So then comes the chore of of packs. And man, that's going to be the tough one. I mean, there is, I have, ugh. You're going to have to build them? I think so. I think that's going to be the best. And I think what I'm going to do is... It's going to be a 6S pack, and then I am going to build an 8S pack. Because I just can't find, well, they I can't find 7S 2600s or something like that. Oddly enough, I don't get it. But then how are you going to charge an 8S pack? With There's my no- chargers. Does it go that high? Oh yeah. Okay. I didn't mine were made in the last ten years. I didn't yeah. know if they went up. You're working seven. with old technology there. Jesse. Well yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's the eight in the dual power lab eight. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> well, no, I wasn't being sarcastic, but kinda that's kind of sounded like you were just a little bit. Oh no. Sorry if I was. No, this time I was not. Usually yes. This time no. No, so I think I'll just do that and then Either take it apart and solder it or, you know, kind of crimp the connections together and then build, do like a an 8S balance connector on that one pack. I mean, we're we're committed. We're going for it. But I really need to get my battery, my battery output up, which I had kind of got excited for a second. I was like, oh, dude, I can 
definitely find like the hard part is finding the 2s pack uh, like it's hard to find a 2700 2s pack but you can find a fair amount of higher output 2s packs so it's just it's going to take a little bit of creativity and finagling and yeah i mean even if it doesn't go even if i can't figure out a good consistent source of batteries to do this it's still a way cleaner setup um and i've got a much more robust esc on there uh which is better all around so well it's not like you had to add a bunch of weight to do it either nope lost really 10 grams anything. no not at all i mean it's it's a way it's just a better setup i love it so that has been my project over the last couple of days and a good one at that hopefully tomorrow my case for the neo oh and by the way so get this um i actually got a fair amount of people that sent me emails were like bro feel your pain yes you broke it don't worry about it happened to me too i guess it's kind of a semi-common thing for uh when you try and take them off with some heavy duty sticky tape yeah. you grab onto it and twist it I guess that's what happens. Same thing used to happen to the Futaba receivers. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've had yeah, Futaba receivers come apart many times. Yep. So I kind of don't feel quite as bad, although now I know. I would. You know what I think would be awesome? Okay. I mean, king of upgrades and king of charging kind of whatever they want. It's since they sell cases anyway... I think that Mikado should do an aluminum case option. Yeah, uh-huh. see why they couldn't. Yeah, why not? I challenge them to. I think it'd be great. I would run one on my nitros for sure. That's what I think about that. So I think that's, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, you like that? I do like that. Yeah, I think they should. They've got all the dimensions and everything for it. That'd be a freaking awesome upgrade. I mean, the white one's cool. It's cool looking, but give me something that's functional. A little bolt together set up. Oh, that'd be so solid. Indeed. Yeah. But that's it. Really. I don't think. Yeah. yeah just for a couple of days, been wrenching up. I'll be getting out, <laughs> uh, getting out on Saturday. Hopefully I'll get that case back in and I got to get, get my butt back to testing on that nitro. It has been fun flying nitro. It's a it's a double edged sword. It is <laughs> tuning and the other issues. <laughs> yeah. Oh, which reminds me, crap. See, I just thought about. It. I forgot to order glow plugs. Oh. I wish you need I... to get that. You need to get that done. Isn't it on your whiteboard? No. See, that's oh, the problem. That's is the that problem. we talked about it down here, down in the basement in the house. <laughs> And like I couldn't write it down right away, and then I forgot. Yeah, it happens. So I guess that's it. Kind of a you know slow couple of days, I guess. Uh, although Nick kind of sounds like you were pretty busy doing stuff, and of course Jesse, but he wasn't here last here a couple of days ago. So he has to have something to talk about. That's the rules, man. Oh, I would have had. Nothing a couple of days ago. This all happened in the last, <laughs> last two days. So was your saving grace. <laughs> you would have come on show. and said, yeah, uh, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. 
So, um, since it's only been a few days, do we actually have any news? Uh, we do not have news. That's, oh, that's all right. Well, I, I think I just thinking. generally speaking, this weekend, well, by the time we get this this uh, show out, it'll be done. But this weekend is the Global 3D event. Oh, yeah. Yep. In Venlo, Holland, which is sort of like the, I guess it's the, what is it? It's the revamp of the Helimasters. I believe so, yes. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. Hopefully it goes better than the historical events did and uh, it's popular and, you know, successful. They have uh, 3D competitions. They've got a speed competition. Uh, I think they've got, uh, I think even they've got F3C style like competitions. I don't know if it's exactly F3C, but... A lot of people are heading over there. I know there are a number of listeners that I've talked to that will be uh, at the event spectating. So enjoy and uh, drop us a line and let us know how it was. We all know crashing sucks, but the only thing worse than crashing is missing something during the repair and watching it pile right back in. Well, guess what? The greatness that is the Soco Heli tool can save you time and from making a costly mistake during your diagnostic process. Simply slap on the Soco Heli tool after a crash and you can check your main shaft, spindle shaft, servo horn teeth, and servo gears without even removing the head from the heli. That simple five minute check can save you hundreds and hundreds of dollars and get you more stick time in the long run. So remember, if you want your equipment to be reliable, then you have to be a good heli mechanic. And if you want to be a good heli mechanic, you have to have good tools. Soko Heli Tools. Because quality and precision is worth it. Get your Soko Heli Tools at www.socohelitools.com. Well, I guess we will move right into the topic then, right? Yeah, I'm on. And it looks like uh, we're going to cover this week some building tips and tricks. Some mistakes you can make, things to look for, what order should you do stuff in, stuff like this, and what, what uh, probably most importantly, what not to do. Yes. Mm-hmm. So who wants to, uh, first thing you shouldn't do, I'll, I'll get us going on this, is you should not CA your hand to your face. <laughs> This, yes. you know, if we've mm. got to start somewhere, we got we got to start out with the basics, yep. and that is very a basics. very very good basic rule. Since I we've... I have failed that rule many a time, <laughs> and I've got another quick not to do since we can't just yeah. pick on Justin. Go for it. What we should not do is overuse the shugu. Yep. Okay. We definitely That's true. not do that. Very we shouldn't good. overuse the shugu. Although it is fun to watch your friends try to take your shit apart when you have overdone mm-hmm. the shugu. Mm, we also should, now this is picking on Justin and Justin saying it, we should use Loctite. You should. Uh, especially yeah. when building friends' tail assemblies. That is <laughs> correct. We, right? Yeah. No, so, uh, so uh, you know, my, my thought on this topic, guys, I... We can kind of do it however you guys think it makes sense. But the way I thought about this was let's start with 
areas or sections, assemblies of the heli. And let's talk through, like you said, their Dan, common mistakes, what to look for, how to do things. Uh, and, and to me, uh, one of the, one of the biggest, I'll call it problem areas and ones that I think people don't appreciate or undersell is the frames building up the frames. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that you can screw up with the frames. Uh, the, the biggest one I think that I still do, and I hear a lot of people don't is sanding the edges. You guys sand the edges of your frames. I do not all of them. Only edges that I know are going to be engaging wire of some sort. Okay. And and the reason and how I know that is I typically like to put one half completely together, servo and all. So I kind of have an idea of where wires are going to be going before mm-hmm. the frame is assembled. Yep. Okay. Oh, okay. So you build, you put all, let's say like the bearing blocks yes. and all the different bits and pieces all on one side. Yep. And then you wire it. Yes. But you know, I think there's one thing we need to take into consideration is, um, what, what are, are we addressing this towards absolute first build guys? Because we, you know, those of us who have built a multitude of helicopters, I mean, how many of us actually follow the direction or the step-by-step manual, but we did the first time. Right. So sometimes some of that stuff is going to be overlooked, like, uh, the sanding of the frames you're, you know, because if you follow the manuals in order completely from start to finish, typically they're, they don't have, you know, you learn this kind of stuff, kind of what we're talking about. So you do, you do, but I'm, I'm kind of looking at it from a standpoint of we've, you're right. We've built tons of helis, right. And, and we've done a lot of manual based builds where we read through the steps and still you learn shit, right? right? right. You still figure stuff out that it's like, well, you know, it either doesn't say it in the manual or it's not clear. Or how about like the manual is flat out wrong? Yes. So, you know, that, that's why I think frames is one that gets overlooked because I, I built a lot of helis that don't tell you to sand the frames, yep. don't mention it at all. Then right. you go and, you know, and, and, and for, for, uh, beginners, they don't realize then that they're putting wires at risk of getting chopped up if they lay them over the frames. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's just stuff that they don't, yeah, they don't have the experience to recognize that as being something that they need to. Even do. It doesn't even cross their mind. One of the first electric helicopters I built was the Gowie X5. Oh. And I did that very thing. Speaking of frames. I didn't didn't sand the frames. First crash I had with that was maybe five flights in, and I shorted out the ESC. And it just came came tumbling down. Yeah. Because I didn't sand it, and I didn't even really think about it, to be honest with you. Just, I've even had a similar experience recent. I mean, within the last, I think, year and a half on the N7, running power up into the V-bar, I didn't, there's kind of a little bit of a hole right at the top of where the receiver battery tr- sits and the V-bar mounts or your flybarless unit mounts, where I, I kind of ran all the wires through that kind of a main hub coming right through there. And I definitely sanded it down because same thing, I recognized that, hey, wires are going to be running through there, so took my little, I use a, a little uh, nail file 
and sanded it down, got both sides, and it's probably 30, 40 flights in on the airframe. Had it, it ended up just kind of breaking the wire in half or sh- shorting it out, doing no damage to the V bar, but a little bit of smoke. And it's like, holy cow, what is what is that? What did I just do? And yeah, sure enough, right there, right where it lays over the frame, it had gone through. So, yeah, I just definitely. had that recent one. You were there for it, Jesse, on the on the NX seven. Yeah, the elevator yeah. servo cut through uh, on the frames, and I had sanded the frames. Yeah, apparently not not well enough. So, yeah, I mean, and and it's and guys, it's not just the edges. Right. And I've learned this one the hard way, too. Uh, and, and I've learned it from Goblin, actually. Nick, you, you can relate to this and you can probably now, too, Dan. Uh, the you know, the Goblins have their ESCs mounted underneath the battery, sort of in the front right ahead of the skids. And they have holes in the side frames where you're supposed to be able to run your uh, your ESC wires up to your motor, sort of along either side of the frame. Now, I think, I think Nick, all of the Goblin kits nowadays come with a rubber grommet. Yes. That you can stick in there. Or well, they're, or if or they're, they're built into pl- the, yeah. Yeah, built into the plastic. Right, uh, yeah, like on the 500 and the, the 570 now, the, the plastic frames actually kind of slot into the carbon fiber hole. Yeah. But on the bigger guys, it's just solid carbon fiber. And, and I don't know, you know, whether it's I didn't know I had a grommet or I didn't think about it. Of course, I, uh, I, I have run wires through that hole before. And on the Cosmics, their wire insulation is really soft silicone. And I have run into situations where I've gotten weird. St- Luckily, I, I found it on the bench, but I've gotten really weird behavior on the motors just kind of spooling it up during checkout. And it's because I didn't uh, either put a grommet in or sand the inside of those holes and the edges were cutting right through it. Uh, So you really do want to sit there and think through how you're going to do the wiring and where it's going to go through so that you know what to sand. And, And that, I think that's kind of a decent segue to what you were poking at earlier, Dan, which is you build yours, halfway and then do your wiring yeah like any servos that are mounted inside the frame or anything like that uh put them in i put them in before the frames come together if it calls for it um one other thing i want to touch on too and uh, nick does this and i've been doing it for a long time as well is uh when it comes to the wires on the frames is uh, we both do the same thing. We just take a small little piece of double-sided zi- or uh, Velcro. Oh yeah. yeah. Velcro. Yeah. And just, oh, dude. Just, what I do. just encompass just literally wrap the wire wherever it's going to be in touch contact uh, with the frame and zip tie it. If you need to, if you can, uh, it's just a little extra protection. Yeah. My favorite, I get it at Lowe's. Tons of other hardware stores have it. It's a very, very, very thin Velcro. It's designed for um, being used to, like, wrap wires. And it comes in a two-pack with gray and one roll of gray and one roll of black. And it's not cushy Velcro. It's very thin. Oh, it's like the... um 
The cable. Yeah, wraps. it's like a it's a strap. It's not sticky. It's it's like the that's almost right. like a fabric Velcro. Yes. Yeah. That's correct. So okay. that stuff, because it's so thin, you can wrap it like really tight around wires. Yep. I mean, I, I for the record, it, you can wrap it so tight if you use your fingernail. I actually use it on my satellite on my on my receiver wires. That's how tight you can get it around. So what I do every single place that I zip tie a wire every time, no matter what, nitro electric doesn't matter. Um, I take a roll of that and I, you know, roll it up super tight around the wires and I'll only do like one full, probably two full wraps. Doesn't take much and then cut it. And then I run my zip tie around that and pull it down tight. I have never had ever had a wiring problem doing that. I don't sheath my servo wires. I don't put any sort of cover over them on any model. Interesting. This is how I've done it. And then I use that. I'll, I'll slide some of that. Like, you know, on the goblins, how they have uh, the little double tray on the bottom. And it's got the slot in the front and the slot in the back for your wires to come out of the speed controller. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wrap. I'll put uh, a wrap around that in the front where it goes, where the wire goes into that channel. And then I'll even do it where it comes out. Because it's so thin, you can wrap it and then slide it down the wire and and like halfway shove it down in there. It's the most awesome Velcro, man. I absolutely love it. I do something similar, but I use a little bit of the, you know, the thicker stuff, kind of like um, the Scorpion thin Velcro. It's not thin compared to what you're talking yeah, about, but you know what I, I know mean? what you're talking about. And and I only use it in certain situations because it's quite a bit fatter and you can't you can't really squish it down. You can't really wind it all that tight. But yeah, that's that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Oh, man. And I, I mean, I use the. The gray, so all my helis get the black, get the black roll, and then everything else gets the gray. So charge leads and, I mean, all that kind of stuff. Anything that I am that I want to use Velcro for, like in the shop to secure, mm-hmm. or in the trailer, gets the gray stuff. And then, uh, yeah, the heli gets the black stuff. And you do have to trim the end. Uh, you know, one end kind of goes down to more of a point, and the other end actually has a loop in it because it is used as like a cable wrap. Right. That's what it's set up for. Yeah, for like electronics but I just, and stuff. But I just trim those off. I mean, yeah, going around the motor wires, you know, that come off the side mm-hmm. where you got to zip time down to the side of the frame, I wrap, you know, one one wrap all the way around the three motor wires and then zip it down. It's, it's solid. I like it cause it's not bulky. That's what I like about it. That's, I like that. That's a good idea. Well, it's now, not really noticeable with using the black either. Yep. So it's clean. It's just kind of like my, it ends up being barely bigger than like heat shrink. So if every time you were going to put you know, a zip tie in a spot, you're going to put heat shrink. That's kind of what it looks like. I love it. With all the different retailers out there, it can be hard to decide where you want to spend your heli money. 
Ken over at Lower Heli helps make that decision a little easier for you though. With amazing prices every day, great customer service and fast shipping, you don't have to worry about bouncing around anymore. Go visit Ken at www.lowerheli.com and fill that shopping cart with the confidence that you're getting the best prices backed by amazing support. Head on over to www.lowerheli.com and fly lower. So do you do what Dan described, Nick? Do you build your frame in halves and do the wiring prior to putting the other piece on? You know, it. I used to. I, I really think it depends on heli design. You know, like my, I mean, synergies, uh, aligns I always did. It, it, it really, the, the more carbon fiber and aluminum models, Narrow frame models, absolutely. You know, so like Gowies, I would for sure. Um, it, it just kind of depends on the layout. The Goblins are not, I mean, no. I don't think so at all. Because I, I don't think that it helps. Because the, the wiring, the really the only wiring, with air quotes, is from the speed controller, you know, down the bottom of the frame and up into the, around where the fly barless stuff is. And that's, I just don't, that's not a big deal. Now, in that case, I'll wire the entire heli before I put the tail boom on. Just sure. because yeah, on yeah, yeah. those, it's a lot easier to secure the wires. That's another thing that you really have to watch out for on your belted helicopters like that. Watch out for that. Watch out for that belt. I've had that happen on two separate goblins. Where I didn't pay attention and got a little, you know, overzealous and, and ran some, some fat wires with some big fat Velcro and and didn't, you know, lay all the wires down properly and actually had a belt uh, tear into a servo, tail servo wire. See, now that is exactly the reason why I don't build it in halves and then wire it first. Because I've done that before, and what what I find, uh, and, and Dan, maybe you don't have an issue with it, is when you're at that low level of assembly, especially if it's a new kit. If it's not a new kit and you've built it before, it's not a big deal. But when it's new and you're not familiar with the design, it's hard sometimes to visualize or appreciate how everything's going to fit together. So you got your bearing blocks and your ESC tray you got it all mounted to one half and you start running wires and then you go and build it all back together. It's looking great. You can't see a wire anywhere. Then you stick the tail boom in there and it's like, oh, shit, that wire is going to get crunched by the boom or it's going to get chewed up in the in the main gear or something yeah. like that. <laughs> like, yeah. Dan, and you so remember you remember on your gasser when you had it all set up with the extension for the tail servo? You stuck it all down and zip tied everything up, and then you were fighting trying to get the tail boom in, mm-hmm. and and it's yeah, it's because that that extension happened to be right in the way of where the tail boom needed to go. Indeed. Do you guys? I don't. Do I, don't the- I, I don't really don't. I don't. Uh, and I've never really had a problem with that. Um, typically, a well thought out heli has servo has wire runs on them. Uh, yep. You know, so you. I don't know. I, in my mind, I mean, the, the Goblin is definitely not a good example 
of a heli that needs to be built in halves. The gasser was a little different in that there are servos that go in the frame and only one extra, right? You've got the throttle mm-hmm. servo. Uh, it's stuff like that. That's, that's um, you know, when I'm thinking halves, I, I, do, I still kind of do it out of habit. But that goes back to the day when you had lines and we were building lines and different different models. Yeah, and it might not be completely, you know, oh, you build up one whole half and then wire it and then slap the other half on, throw all the fasteners in. Sometimes I'll just leave certain parts out. Like maybe the receiver tray up front blocks a huge section of the nose, so I got to leave that out so I can kind of get all the wires routed up towards front and situated and um, Velcroed together, and then you know, then I'll throw the tray in and route them up through the tray or something like that. I, so even just parts here and there, um, like you said, Justin, taking into consideration the final mounting and location, but can help give you access towards the you know to the inside of the frame. Yeah, yep. I think just taking a look at it and kind of imagining what 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 about the inside guts of this heli that I'm building right now is going to be kind of a bitch to get to when it's fully mm-hmm. assembled. Maybe there's yep. nothing. Maybe there's one thing. It's funny. I remember building alleys where you're going through the manual and it's like you're, you're in the middle of the frame section and, and they show you, you know, like mounting uh, an elevator servo. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do all the servos at once. I just, I just want to get the airframe done so I can see it, right? Because then it oh, looks like a helicopter. It. Yes. Yeah. And then you get it all done. You're like, oh, it's awesome. Okay, servo time. You're going, oh, dude, I have to take like this whole frame side off again. To get the servo in. Yeah, Yeah, now I know why they said that. I am still, to this day, the worst about doing that on my goblins with servos. I mean, the worst. The absolute worst. Just because of the where, like, Dan, remember we were laughing? Um, pulling the servos in and out for stuff like putting the horns on yeah. or you put the motor on then you can't get to the two the uh, servo mounting screws in the front I still do it wrong because I just want to get it built yeah yeah but at least the goblin design is laid out open enough to the point where you can kind of work around that if if you did it in the wrong yeah, and order, I've I mean know? I've got tricks now that's for sure I don't you know back in the day it was oh you got to put your servo horns on and center them all up I don't I put all my servos in and get everything all wired up and happy and then I just actually back uh, one side of the servo mounting screws out quite a bit and then loosen the other side and you can rock the servo enough to get the horn on. Slide the horn on. That's how yep. I do it. Do you guys, when you're building your frames, do you guys leave all of the the fasteners loose and then sit it on a flat surface and systematically tighten and check the main shaft and all of that? Yes, but not. I don't check the main shaft. I just because it always seems to work. But I do not. T- I I just snug everything up and then lay it down when the frame is essentially assembled lay it down and then tighten the ship but i don't i used to do the pull the main shaft in and out you know after you do two or three bolts i'm like shit that's nah i do i still yeah. i always tighten everything with the main shaft in i'll pull it out of the box that's a good that's a good one 
I do as well, Nick. And if it it slides in and out too, too tight, then I'll go back and do it again. Yep. I still do it. Yeah, I don't what do about it with the you, main shaft in there, but I do set it, you know, leave them, leave it a little bit loose and then set it on the flat surface and then snug everything up and tighten it all up. That's that's a good idea, leaving the main shaft in there. I learned that from building the lines, man. Because I'll <laughs> tell you what, I mean, we, we've moved on and maybe a line has as well, but back in the day when those were the best helis I'd ever built, it was not a foregone conclusion that you would be able to tighten that shit up randomly and and get it to work. I mean, I had many a main shaft that bound up. I think in the all bearing of those blocks. Yeah, I don't think it was. Yeah, I think it was. It was any yeah. carbon for you know carbon fiber side, three bearing block, main shaft. You know, typical. Yep. Uh, yeah. All, you know, all the helis that were again mostly carbon fiber with aluminum supports throughout them. Synergies, all those. You couldn't just, it didn't matter how tightly they were toleranced. I mean, if you have bolts that go through holes, you can have a little bit of movement. So I just got in a habit of doing it way back in the day, and I, st- I still do it. It's weird. Yep. What's next, Justin? Um. Well, so I think maybe the next area that gets people is the head. Uh, You know, you hear a lot about people... Uh, putting the putting the bearings in incorrectly uh forgetting to lube the thrust bearings worse getting a head that is assembled out of the box and assuming that that's okay so i i feel like there are a lot of lessons to learn when building the head assembly uh, I'll, I'll start with that and my my weak spot on that and i have to just check and double check so many times is the uh the the uh smaller id of the uh thrust bearings and the larger id really it's, it's like i have to come up with this system of i have to lay them out and i like and then i get i get going i'm like oh shit i better check it again and i have to fucking pick it up and got, <laughs> that's the smaller one and it's like it's like somewhere it's like- in the translation i just i like forget i like lay it down okay this is where the small one is this is where and it's like now, which one was it? Yeah, it's just well. Then you you put the small one on the spindle, but then you're like, ah, it's pretty tight. But then you have to try the larger one just to make sure it's actually <laughs> just make, looser. Just to make yeah. sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you do get paranoid about it. I hear you, but I have and, started. Uh, I have I actually just have started laying them out in the order they need to go um, mm-hmm. on the table, and just hopefully that's right. <laughs> what kind of grease do you use? Whatever happens to be handy. <laughs> I've been using the Bodo, I've been using the Bodos loop, but I used to use uh, the Triflow synthetic. The yeah, the thick grease. Yeah, that's what I use as well. I've talked to a couple of people who have said that they've had success using like the really thin Triflow. Huh? Which and and okay, so here huh? here's their theory, and I, I it's it's partially grounded, I think. Uh, you know, you spin this thing up, and where does all the grease go on the maiden flight? Down your blades. Down your blades, yeah. Right? So, you know, the, the thought is, well, if it's going to get out of the bearing anyway, then why am I going to bother messing around with packing it thick with the, you know, with the heavy grease when I can just make sure there's a good, nice lubricating film on there? 
Now, I, I still use the thick stuff, and the reason I do is because I have pulled the the bearings out after many, many flights using the thick grease. And while there's no more grease packed in the bearings, the there there's little um, sort of around the holes in the smaller uh, or in the uh, the the race itself where the balls fit into. There are little tiny rings of grease of what's left. And so I think it does stay lubricated a little bit better. But, you know, I I don't know. Have you guys ever used a thin grease on thrust bearings? No, I have not. No, not really. But I swear it seems like every I now I know there's a someone sent me a link once and I maybe even twice. I feel like that's a good quest. I'm going to go on a quest. For better thrust bearing grease, because while I use the Triflow synthetic, I don't think it stays in there well enough. Um, like Bodo Lube or any of that style definitely doesn't stay in there good enough. I mean, I haven't seen anything really that does, but I know that I there is a grease you. out there. But I want to find something Corning that's not like eleven. What Dow Corning one eleven? Yeah, okay, and I think that's what it was. But it's like, I want something that everyone can go find, not like, you know, space grade weird shit. No, you you can buy that shit off of Amazon. I mean, that stuff's so thick, it's hard to get out of the freaking tube. (laughs) So how come you don't use it? I'll tell you, you want to know why? Yeah, I do. Because it is used on rockets. We use it to grease the uh, inside of solid rocket motors for uh, propellant, uh, for the propellant liners. Um, That stuff is so difficult to get off. It is ridiculous. I mean, you will wash your hands for a week straight and you will still have a nice film of Dow Corning 111 silicone. Hmm. Huh. So I, uh, so Dal, I don't know what, what you try. D O W, space. Corning C O R, N I N G one eleven one one one, silicone lubricant five point three ounce tube nineteen ninety five. That's the last tube you'll ever need. Trust me. Well, it it's some serious shit. My only thinking is, do you, I mean, some residual grease obviously has to stay on the bearing. So do you need something thicker? Like, is that a need or just a want? Yeah, I want it to stay in there. Well, you how about this? I've never had a problem with it being not greasy enough. That's what I mean. It, some residual is still in there. Like Justin said, I'm still seeing pockets of grease and residual grease in there. It's not like it comes out looking like it did before I ever put grease in it. No, but I would love to be able to extend my, my service interval. That's a, I mean, that's a fair point, Nick. You know, if I go a couple hundred flights, we'll extend your service. interval. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If I can get out to a couple hundred flights, you know, every time I do damper, if I don't have to take it apart until I'm doing dampers, that would be great. But when I am taking it apart to do dampers, they're freaking dry. I mean, yes, they might have just a little bit, but I would actually like to right. see. I look yeah. at it like a wheel bearing. That's yeah. how I look at it, like an old school packable wheel bearing. I want to be able to put fresh, clean grease and take it apart and still see grease in there. Yeah.
After changing my custom charging case about 12 times now, I've really come to appreciate what the guys at Progressive RC bring to the hobby. With a huge selection of charging accessories such as balance boards, charge leads, connectors, adapters, case fans, and more, you'll be sure to find exactly what you need to make your custom charging system really shine. And if you're not interested in going DIY style, then hit them up for one of their turnkey charging systems. Just choose your options and you'll be charging in no time. Head on over to www.progressiverc.com today and get that spark back into your hobby. Progressive RC, taking charging to the next level. So Justin, your your comment about using the thin triflow. Yep. Some of the newer helicopters actually have little holes drilled through the blade grip where you can see the thrust bearing stack right there. So that uh-huh. could be one reason to use the thinner is you could constantly, you know, every 10, kind of like when, when you lube the tail shaft or lube the, the uh, swash plate, you could just throw a drop in each one and kind of keep What helis that. have that? I'm trying to, I feel like the, I'm looking back through the manual right now because I can't walk out to the garage and look, but I feel the like the N- Protos does. Or is it the N7? One one of my helis has that. I uh, that's couple, really freaking numerous ones. That's true, Justin. dude. Yeah, I've seen it in more than one spot, and I'd have to go look to confirm. But I know one of them does. But that could be one reason why that using that thin trifle, you could you know every ten flights throw a drop in there. <laughs> the Kasama that I had actually had a hole, and it was labeled oil for the thrust bearings. Are you are you really? kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was engraved in there. Well, I hey, let's let's look into that. I'd like to know what helis have oil holes, and I'd like to know what Nick's experience is with DC one eleven. Uh I think you might like it. I think you're you're probably uh uh a you appreciate a fine grease, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> because no, you're a I mechanic, right? Would. You're you 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 enjoy <laughs> probably more than the average person. A good lubricant. It's the so uh, it's know. the synergy, Justin. All right. Well, so once once we get once we get the uh, the thrust bearings lubed, we've got to put everything together. And here is the part that I always douche up. Always, uh, the stupid shims <laughs> in between the grips and the head block. How many times have you tightened the whole thing together and you're like cranking it down? You look at it. It's a piece of art. You spin the grips and you're like, oh, man, it's smooth as butter. And then you pull them in and out and it's like, oh, shit. There's like a a millimeter of of, of play. No tension. Oh, look, there are those two brass shims that I was supposed to install. (laughs) Yeah. Done that a few times. So then to pull it back apart, that's always a big problem, too, because, right, you know, tightening two bolts at the same time, you just use two hex drivers, no biggie. Uh, Taking them apart, you're only ever going to be able to get one screw out. Now, sometimes you don't need to pull both, but if you do what I found, and it's actually one of my favorite uh, favorite tools, it's the Align uh, one-way tool. 
You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. It's like a little blue wrench with a eight and a 10 millimeter one way bearing in it. So you just grab the feathering shaft and can, uh, the one they pull. copied from Bobby Watts. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that Dude, was a Bobby was the special. Grippy. Yeah. yeah. Now, Bobby oh, came out with his, and it dude. wasn't too long after that. Yeah, way to go, Justin. Now yeah. I feel dirty. You should. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bobby. Who's <laughs> the grippy? You don't remember the grippy? Yeah. I, don't I, I, I have do. one. I don't think I do. Huh. Well, okay. I'm I'm using a I'm using a Chinese grippy or a Taiwanese grippy. It still works, but thank you for the the inspiration that you gave to a line, Bobby. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> wow! But they do work great. They do work great. How how about uh, cleaning methods? How do you prep your your feathering shaft, your spindle for the head? That's a really important one. If there's one set of fasteners that you want to get right, it's that. Yep, I dip Q-tip. Uh, yeah, I've done Q-tips. I've also just I take a paper towel and roll it up really, really tight, and then dip it in the alcohol, shove it in the feathering shaft hole, and then stick a driver in there and twist and turn and get all that grease and oil out of there. Yeah, I've I've become fairly fond of the feathering shafts that are completely hollow. Because then you can run, uh, what I do is for the ones that are hollow and now I can't, I, her goblins hollow or am I thinking of my German helis? I know the German helis are hollow. Uh, but what I will basically do is I'll soak it in alcohol so that the alcohol fills the entire thing. Uh, and then you can go and, uh, get like a thick yarn, uh, or, or even, you know, multiple pieces of string and you can run it back and forth inside there uh, and get all of the grease out from uh, where they cut the threads deeper down in the shaft and then go in with the Q-tip. Because oftentimes when I just use the Q-tip, I'll get all of the stuff out of the threads up at the front. And as I get down towards the end where it was machined, I dip into some grease and rub it back into the freaking threads. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. One of my, one of my big concerns about that. And I, it's, I mean, it's not a, it's, it's just something I think about is when I'm putting it all back together and I've got that fresh grease on the thrust bearings, like, great. Now I'm just going to clog that bastard back up with grease, you know? So I always try to make sure I don't have excess grease on the thrust bearings when I do that. Oh yeah. yeah, That's a good point. And then what about greasing the dampers and then putting, do you try to put the spindle through before you clean it? Or do you try to plug, you know, like what I typically will do is I'll grease the dampers, throw them in the head block, and then I'll put like, you know, break the end of a Q-tip off and thread it in one end of the spindle and then slide that through. So I know that no grease is going to go into that spindle and hit those threads when I'm pushing it through the head block. Yeah, I I also, uh, depending on the design, if the feathering shaft is large enough in comparison to the head of the screw, mm-hmm. I'll just I'll just thread the entire screw, the screw in there. That's what yeah. I yep. do. 
Yeah. And and then you just push it right through the dampers, no problem. Yep. Wipe the grease off, clean the screw again just for good measure, and you're ready to go. And yep. then I I uh I get in the I have gotten into the habit of and and not just with feathering shaft, but it started with this and it's now extended to frames too, is using the tip of the one point five millimeter driver. In my case it's a scorpion driver, and uh dipping that into Loctite. And then poking that down into the hole with the threads uh, and rubbing it around the threads to get the threads all ready with Loctite rather than putting it on the screw. And what's really good about that in particular on the feathering shaft is because if you put too much on the screw threads and then you go to tighten it down, it's going to squeeze out and it's going to get into your thrust bearings or your radial bearings. Whereas if it's already down inside the female portion of the threads, you're just going to push it further down into the feathering shaft. And very rarely, I mean, unless you just soak it, is it going to come up and out? You filled your whole hollow spindle shaft yeah, it's, with it's, it's just Filled with blue <laughs> lock. I think that's enough. <laughs> I'm pretty sparing with the Loctite. I, you know, I dip it onto the threads, put put a few drops on and then I actually kind of clean it off a little bit with my hand just so it kind of covers up first. I don't know. Depending upon how big the bolt is, four, two, three, four threads. Oh, dude, I, I am so wasteful with Loctite. Ever since Nick got me the, uh, I, I don't even, I don't even know where you got it from, but it's like an industrial sized bottle of blue Loctite. It it actually it it comes in a container that you used to see with like this the Elmer school glue, yeah, yeah. but it's a big uh, one. It's it's like a wood glue container. Yeah, and I'm almost done with it actually. So Nick, <laughs> oh my gosh, if, if you like, you got a spare one lying around, a lifetime supply. Lastly. Let me know because I I just I have no problem use overusing that. Now we're on to Loctite, uh, blue everywhere, red. You use any green? What what's your Loctite color preference? Blue. Blue, Blue. and I've got some weird Chinese stuff that we call Forever Tight. And I use the that. The color's blue. <laughs> it's weird. It's like a It's it's blue? Well, it <laughs> it's not, it's it not says, equivalent to your normal blue. <laughs> it is not equivalent. No. It says like blue on it. Okay, medium strength or something. But this is not, it isn't even the same consistency. It's like a gel. Type yeah, it's, it's almost more like, like a red. It, no, it's a bluish green kind of gel. No, but it holds like red. It holds like green. Oh, shit, dude. It is, that's why we call it forever tight. Forever tight, yep. Yeah, it is awesome stuff, though. I mean, amazing where'd you get it at you remember i yeah yeah. a hobby king isn't it Uh, it might be from hobby king i could look at the bottle and probably trace it down Uh, i believe that's probably correct i got like two bottles of it from uh from an older gentleman that that passed away a long time ago but i mean it is just like when i have stuff that i want to go in that that it's kind of like my version of red. I don't use red at all. I use that. But 
I know where I use it. So sometimes I will even like immediately. So let's see, trying to think of a good instance where I will use it on some tail stuff, but only in a situation where I can hit it with a micro torch to break it free. Like I don't even bother trying to crank it right back out. To, wow. You know, just to just to loosen up the Loctite a little bit. It's awesome though. I mean, I just I love it. So blue and that and that's it. And it's nice because it's not it's not runny. It's kind of a a little more of a gel kind of tacky. Huh. That's weird. Yeah. So I, I use that stuff on the. I actually use that on the spindle bolts. Yep. Same here. But on the spindle bolts, it's a big enough screw. It's, it takes a big enough driver that I don't, you know, I don't have any issues with them being really tight coming out. So. Oh, they're tight, but I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, as far as strip, you know, you're not. It's a big enough driver that you're it. not going to strip the head out exactly. Yeah, it's so. not like a button head two millimeter. Yeah, Dan, exactly. That's what I used on your Scorpion drivers. When oh, I fixed them. Okay. Yeah, which, ooh, there's a tip. Ready? Here's the tip yeah. of the day. Free tip of the day. So we have had some of the Scorpion ones, and I've even had other brand ones, on the, I want to say it's the four millimeter driver, like the huge one. Yeah, the big one, yep. yeah. Uh, they just won't stay. Uh, they slip because you put them in your spindle bolts, and if you can't get it with your hand, then you slide another driver through the handle, right? And they end up, um, actually, the shaft will spin inside the handle, even with a set screw down in the flat part of the shaft. So I took them out and deepened the flat spot. And then there's actually two set screws. And I ground a flat spot where the other set screw goes. And then just slid a, a little thin layer of that Loctite over the shaft. Slid it in there, Loctite down on those set screws. No way will it ever, ever slip again. Now, I probably wouldn't do the Loctite on the shaft itself if it was a smaller one, like a two millimeter or smaller, because you're, I mean, I would be a little concerned about getting it apart even if I wanted yeah, to. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Four millimeter, I'd be surprised if you ever stripped the head of that driver. No. One and a half or two millimeter, you're screwed. You and might the only as well just one buy that a I've, new tool. The only one that I've had consistently slip is that four millimeter one because again, we're using it for the spindle bolts on the larger helis and just reefing on it because I've got forever tight on the spindle bolts. <laughs> so yeah, there's the tip uh, of the day. So you use the forever tight on the tail assembly where like on the set screw that holds the the tail hub on? Uh yes, I use it on that. I use it on the again the the spindle bolts in the in the tail. Just again very light amount. Mhm. Very light amount and feathering shaft bolts and uh I think that's a about, oh, I will use it absolutely on, like, boom support bolts. Nitros. Yep. yep. On on nitros, on stuff like that. But um, mostly just the more pattern bolts that have had problems in the past of, of backing back out. Right. Never on anything that requires a one and a half millimeter driver, though. Ever. So, you know, you want to hear something weird. This... 
this uh, was an experience that I had recently building the TDR2 and reading through the manual. Jan says, don't lock tight the frame bolts. No need. And so at first I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Uh, it's weird. It's disconcerting, but I'm going to give it a try. And you read a little bit further, and his justification is, uh, first of all, for the first couple of flights of any heli, you should always make sure that your bolts are staying in, right? You do a couple of post-flight checks or pre-flight checks. Uh, And then beyond that, uh, unless you have built it wrong or having severe issues, then you shouldn't have a vibration that will back out a frame bolt on an electric. And if you do, there are enough frame bolts to the point where it will not impact the structural integrity of the helicopter. So who gives a crap? So just don't waste your time. I still do. I can't not. Yeah. And so I built my TDR2 with no Loctite in the frames. It feels unnatural. It does. It does. But I have checked them after every flight, every single uh, screw. No problem. They are all tight. And I'll remind you, back in the day, we had those Lynx bolts. Remember those, oh, Justin? Oh, dude, yes. In fact, I used those on a T-Rex 700N and didn't Loctite them. Same thing. Never had a problem. Never had a problem. Yeah. And but, that's on a Nitro. Yeah, but those were a little and bit. And I can't tune. Those were different, though. Yeah, they were They were shoulder. They, they had were, a like, shoulder, and the shoulder fit. bit in the carbon fiber. Yeah. Well, that's true, but. I think they yeah. were designed to not use Loctite. Uh, they in, were. In mind. That was their purpose. They were expensive, too. I remember that. They were super expensive. Yeah, they were like 30 bucks for the 40 kit. bucks for a kit. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what other sticky shit do you guys use? you use any CA uh, in, in plastic parts? I will on occasion if I feel like it's a part that's going to need it, but... Uh, like um, I did on the goblin on the tail because it's got the plastic slider. Huh. That's that's plastic on a goblin. It is on the five seventy. The arm, your pitch yeah. arm. Yeah. yeah, the pitch arm. Oh, yep. okay. Yeah, not okay. So it's not the pitch slider. No, it's the, the bell crank. Yeah. 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 Got yeah. it. Yeah. Got it. Yep. I do there. I do in those types of situations. You bet. Just put a little teeny dab. You know, my big complaint with CA, and I'm actually going to go, I'm going to start a different method. I'm going to place an order. I'm going to see how this goes. I can't get CA to last. I go buy a big bottle, and (laughs) half the bottle ends up hard before I use it. Well, you are clearly not using enough CA then, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, because I excuse have me one, for not gluing those... my bench together with it, yeah. but I actually only <laughs> use it on fasteners, not benches, tabletops, and body parts. <laughs> yeah. I have you. I, I will have you know. I have one those boxes of the the hot glue CA kits from Snowhomish Funfly the last three years in a row, and I have consumed each box before the next one fly. Yeah, so I'm going to like, I think I'm going to do an order and I'm going to 
order multiple smaller bottles, like get as small of a bottle as I can, because I do have a desire to have like foam safe and have a thin and maybe even a thick CA, but I just, I hate buying it. It's like my number one thing I hate buying because I always end up wasting the majority of it. Yep. Yeah, I, you're right, Nick. I, I mean, luckily in those little kits that I get, they have replacement caps. So, uh, you know, inevitably, especially the, the CA bottles that have like the long spout and you kind of cut, cut the tip off a little bit to get the, the mm -hmm. uh, spout to the right diameter. Um, you know, the, the caps that go on there, they will have, there'll be a little bit of residual CA. You stick it on there, you come back to it, you can't get the damn cap off, right? So you either cut it off or you twist it, and in twisting it, you rip half of the nozzle off with it. Yes. And now you got this big gaping hole. Yes. Which is in danger of one of two things, either drying out or spilling everywhere. So I just get replacement caps and put a new cap on, and I, that seems to work pretty well. I didn't even uh, know you can get replacement caps. Yep, and then the other thing I will do is I will get the CA solvent, which, as you might imagine, given my history, I have used to great benefit. I have some uh, of that. Okay, and that will very quickly break down any residual that you have. And if you put just a little bit of it on the, on the nozzle or on the inside of the cap with a, with a Q-tip and then close it, it will not stick on you but it'll keep mm. it sealed enough to the point where it won't dry out. Interesting. Here's my it's tip a, for CA glue. I, um, it's a brand of CA, but it's, it comes in many different flavors. Uh, have you guys ever tried Gorilla Glue? I know you I, do, but I have not. I, I Here, here's, the, here's the beauty of Gorilla Glue. You can, get, you can get thin, you can get thick, you can get expanding glue. So literally like, uh, if you, the expanding glue is good for like gap filling, or if you need to maybe do something on your canopy, but, uh, literally if you put it, the expanding gorilla glue in like, a, like if you were to screw in a bolt or a, a ball or something, it would actually, if you let it, when you let it sit, you'd come back the next day and the plastic housing would be split because it literally oh, is designed damn. to fill up gaps, but it, it's for a very specific purpose and it works great if you need something like that. Where do you use that? The, uh, the expanding shit on a heli. Well, I w I've used it on the canopy to just plug little holes or, you know, if, uh, on a crash, fill cracks. Is it sandable once you, once it, it, it hardens? It, it is. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's really good glue. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm guessing it's some formula of CA, right? But I've always, I found it to be a lot easier I I like the I have the medium thickness. I don't have any thin. I've used it in the past, but it just it's. I feel like it lasts longer than. CA. I do not know what that is. I'm going to look into that. Yeah, it's good stuff. And it's CA. I, you know, don't quote me on that. I think it's some formula of CA. I just don't know if it's actually. It, it's got the same key ingredients. The yeah, it's just cyano. I don't remember what the yeah. fascinating Ac acrylide or whatever. Yeah, it's the cyanoacrylate yeah huh it's good stuff 
Gorilla Glue. I yeah. will write that so down and see what... It's a little more what, expensive, but it's good. But it stays longer. I, I feel like it is. Now, I don't really have any definitive way to justify me saying that it does, <laughs> but I feel like it. whenever I use it, I just have never had to reapply or, or fix it. Interesting. I used it a lot in my former job. Let's put it that way. Huh, yeah, I will check that out because I, I mean, aside from gluing body parts together, uh, I do use CA a lot in builds, um, obviously. So, you know, torque tubes, that's a simple one, right? You got to CA the bearings on. That's what I do, at least. I don't know if you guys use a different adhesive, uh, but CA the bearings on. And what's nice is at least in my experience, when and if I've ever gotten CA into the bearing itself, it's oh, pretty it's pretty easy to get out. That's nice to have a, something that you can do something like that because you know the the fumes from the CA will also cause the bearings to lock up if you use too much. The fumes. Oh, you yeah. You're saying if you put a whole bunch on there and it kind of evaporates and then redeposits. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So what what you can do is if you get a little bit in the bearing. You do a tiny, just one drop of the solvent, um, rub it around until it's smooth, and then I use a, a an air can, like a keyboard cleaner, right. blast it out a little bit, make sure it's all out, and then regrease the bearing with some uh, with some light oil, TriFlow, Scorpion motor bearing oil, whatever, and it's perfectly fine. You don't have any issues, and yeah. if there are little bits and pieces of CA in there. It's so, it's so soft compared to the hardened steel balls and the race that it's going to get pulverized and spit out anyway. So it's really, it, it works out quite well in that regard. When I was new to building helis, uh, that whole, I hated that whole process because, you know, when you order a kit, you go to assemble the torque tube, <laughs> you don't have an extra one. And when you don't really know what you're doing, because it's like the first one you built <laughs> and you're like, Oh, oh, seems like I've overdone it with the CA. Now I have to order another torque tube, another and torque bearings. tube and bearings. <laughs> yeah. And those aren't cheap. <laughs> no, or that's only second to doing like a two or three torque tube setup and getting it about three inches away from being all the way in. And then you give it that last little pop and you feel a bearing come loose. unglue. Yeah. Oh, and you're yeah. like, dude really because <laughs> now yeah. it's in there so the tip of the day for that is make sure and use some scotch bright a little bit of scotch bright or emery cloth something yes. very very light and and Sc sand down up. that yeah. yeah scuff up that torque tube and then use some alcohol on there and clean it and then you won't have that problem yep. yeah and and when you uh don't okay so here's the other thing don't put the CA on the torque tube first because many a time, especially if you're using thin CA, which, which cures quickly, many a time you'll, you know, you get it all lined up, you got it sanded, you put a little, uh, 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 circle of the stuff on there and then you quickly move the bearing down towards that area and it gets stuck. And then you're like, oh shit, it's not all the way there. It's a few, you know, it's a centimeter or so away. You twist it, it gets cocked. Now you're completely fucked. 
And if you don't know that you can use solvent, then you just did what Dan said is go buy another torque tube. It looks like the bearings going in a different so spot. So what I do is I put the bearings exactly where they're going to be, and I let the torque tube sit horizontally on the bench, like hang it over a, a desk drawer or something. And then I go in with a toothpick or a tool. Exacto uh, uh, knife is actually my favorite to do thin CA with and put a little tiny blob of CA on the edge of the blade and then run it down between the torque tube and the bearing and it doesn't go into the bearing it gets right in between locks up perfect I've never and done you're it ready that to way. go yeah but I, I haven't either I drip it on the on the torque tube but I I do all of them at the same time so I set it out horizontally like you said yep. put all my bearings exactly about say a centimeter away from where I want them to be all off to the right. And then I just yep. do dab a CA, dab a CA, dab a CA, and then slide one bearing, slide the other bearing, slide yep. the other bearing, call it good. And, and I think this is one reason why I use the, the media, you know, medium thickness or the little bit longer cure. Rarely do I pull out the thin, really quick set CA kind of for the reason you're talking about, Justin. Yeah, because you you don't it, you don't have a lot of time. You don't. It's very unforgiving. Yeah. Who flies? Oh, I guess you still do, don't you? Oh, you do too, Justin. What Tor- torque tubes? So who who does that? Um, torque tubes. I have a torque tube on my NX7. At this point in time, it's in three pieces, and <laughs> I have three a torque, torque tube. Yeah, <laughs> I have a torque tube on the TDR1. But everything else that I own is a belt. Yeah, and I have the N7. The N7's a torque tube? Yes, it is. Every Synergy helicopter is a torque tube now. That's true. That's true. Lest I forget. Oh, the only other, so (laughs) not to completely re-loop back around, but the red Loctite thing, I thought of one more place, putting the balls into the swash plate. That is a red oh, interesting place for me because I suppose but, so once they're in there. And now that I think about it, I never tight those, but I don't never tight the ones that go into the blade grips. Those balls. No, 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 no. Mm, gotcha. You hold on. What, Nick? I never tight the swash plate balls because mm-hmm. you don't break those. Like I don't have to, I'm not worried about getting them out. But the ones up by the blade grips that go into the blade grip arms, yep. those yep. I only blue Loctite. Okay. okay. I'm following you. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, what's next on the list here? Well, I I think uh, we can move on to installation of radial bearings. Now, I think this is kind of like a rebuild sort of thing because most kits nowadays come with bearings installed in the bearing blocks. However, uh, it's not going to be long if you're flying for a while before you get to the point where you either crash it so bad you've destroyed bearings or you've flown it so much that the bearings are worn out, Uh, especially if you don't have a thrusted main shaft. So radial bearing removal and replacement and oh this is this is an opportunity to talk more about uh ca for me um what i like to do i know you guys are thinking oh shit how do you how does he use ca with radial bearings 
What I like to do to replace the radial bearings, um, I will get, I'll take the bearing blocks out um, and I will place them in a flat vise on my drill press uh, and then set the, the jaws of the drill press to the appropriate diameter so that they're forcing on the, the uh, outer race of the bearing and then slowly press it until it pops out. Um, now more often than not, that comes without any hassle, although I'll kind of use my judgment. And if it feels like I'm giving it a lot of muscle to get out, then I'll, I'll hit it with a torch to kind of break up whatever gunk they've got in there. Nowadays, I've seen anything from, uh, no Loctite at all, like actual oil all the way up to like the super hardcore green, uh, the anaerobic retainer. And for that, I, I, uh, I will use a torch so that I don't warp the, the race of the bearing or damage anything, uh, anymore. Um, the, the installation goes the same way. I use a press for that because pressing it in by hand, uh, can be problematic kind of the same way we were talking about with the torque tubes because if you get it cocked and you get a little too overzealous, now you've got a bearing stuck halfway in the bearing block. The other reason why I do the press is because I use CA to hold them in. <laughs> of course. You do. Uh, yeah. Of course. Well, okay. So here's my justification for this. I don't have green Loctite. Call me lazy. Never really used it anywhere. Don't feel like I need to carry a bottle of it around with me. Uh, and it's a big pain in the ass to get out. I've used blue Loctite to retain bearings before, but it doesn't work all that well. Uh, red, I don't think I've ever used. But thin CA, you can get on the outer diameter of a toothpick and... Uh, and rub it around the, in this case, the ID of the bearing block and then slide the bearing in there and it holds great and it breaks uh, apart when you want to pull the bearing out without a problem. So it doesn't give you a hard time, but there's no, no shifting. It's in there secure, just no big deal at all. How do you guys do it? Well, I I use uh, I use a small hobby vice if I could fit it in there, um, and I just you know because it's got the machined edge, and I just slowly press it in because I don't have a drill press. Uh, in the past, I've used metric sockets, just matched them up with yes, the, um, matched them up with the uh, OD of the bearing. Yep, and uh, I use that typically to get them out. Uh, on the on the ID of the inner diameter, pushing from the top or whatever. Yeah, yeah I guess when you're trying to get them out, you don't really care whether you destroy the bearing. No. Exactly. So I'll usually take like a bigger, for getting out the bearing, the, for like the main shaft out of the bearing blocks, I'll just take a big socket that the whole bearing can fit down into, but the bearing block itself will sit up on and then basically just beat it out from the other side with a socket that just hits the ID. Oh, just to get nice. it out. Like with Is a it, hammer? Just with a rubber mallet. Okay. Um, and usually pops out. You, and then you, I'll press and then I'll press it back in with a bench vice. You know what else works really well? Um I don't know if the Scorpion tools would work, but like uh the Maverick socket drivers, if you take 
um, the hex driver out. The red ones, right? Yeah, because it's got that mm-hmm. kind of that tapered. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that works really well for taking them out. Yeah, because like you said, at that at that point, it really doesn't. As long as I guess, yeah, like the whatever you use to retain it is not just completely keeping that sucker forced in there. Um, so then, at that point, then I would just press it out. Most of the time, I can just pop them out though. Um, but then, like you said, Dan, using the socket set, a metric socket set to line up the OD. That's what I'll do for like the blade grip, sliding those radial bearings down in is get them started and then find a socket that lines up with the OD that'll slide inside the blade grip as well. And then just push them down with that. That way, you know, you're not going to put any pressure on the ID and potentially ruin the bearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that is a really good point. Um, I mean, I have run into issues in trying to remove the bearings where I tightened the vice a little too much and deformed the block before i got the bearing back in it so that's something that you want to watch for uh but uh, i think that's pretty stupid so I'm, i'm hoping most people won't do that well that's the one thing with finding that bigger socket is you're actually supporting the block all the way around the bearing yes there's no way it can really deform because it's pushing evenly on that larger socket yeah and i, I so that's, that's a I'm really good idea usually too Jesse. concerned with it because you're, you're getting yeah even support all the way around the bearing on the block but that's got to be a pretty beefy socket for a main shaft bearing right oh yeah 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 exactly if you have the I room that fits if you have the room um harbor or harbor freight has a really nice little arbor press. Yes. Mm. So that's the name that you're looking for when we talk about these small hand presses. It's called an arbor press. They're cheap. You just got to have a spot to bolt them down. But man, once you kind of get your little jigs for everything to hold stuff, it will completely transform the way that you do stuff. Like, uh, Pressing out shafts for like motors, replacing electric motor shafts, pressing in nitro motor bear. I mean, just everything. They are really, really nice. Yeah, and you're right. They're not all that expensive. I think the last time I was at Harbor Freight, I saw a small, I want to say its maximum throw was like eight or 12 inches, something like that, uh, is 60 bucks. And I, and again, it's a laziness thing because I've, I've basically got the drill press to do the same exact thing for me. Uh, and, and it's, it's not a struggle, but I think maybe eventually I will pick up an Arbor. They've got a half ton Arbor press there for 40 bucks, 40 bucks. Oh, nice. Wow. Yeah. That's a killer deal. That would be the correct tool for the job. <laughs> that, that it really is. It, yeah. it is honestly. Uh, if you have, we... yeah, like Justin said, you know, why do I not have one? Because I've got a pretty decent sized drill press out in the shop that is good enough. It's it's not the correct way of doing it, but it's it's good enough. Oh yeah, but I mean, I use it for I replace all the bearings and bearing blocks. I have rebuilt electric motors countless times by pressing the shafts in and out. No problems whatsoever. I mean, you got to do a little bit more, focus a little bit more on getting it lined up, 
but once you figure out how to do it, it's not a big deal. All right. Sweet. Well, any other areas of a, of a heli that you guys want to talk about in terms of challenges or tips? I, I want to know between you three, do you guys, and I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but do you guys actually follow the manuals? I do. Do you really? Step by step? Um, Hmm. Nah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do much anymore. The only time I look at the manual is if I just want to confirm an orientation or something, you know, of a of a of a part that I'm just not sure of. Uh, I've been bit on a couple small things. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think it's a really good idea because I ended up taking shit apart. That I've built because I, but I don't know. There's just something about. They so gave you spares in the kit. Yeah, it's like, why is there so many extra parts? <laughs> I use it more as, as a reference. I mean, I, I feel like I've built enough helis and enough brands at this point where to me, I look at the parts and yeah, they may be colored or shaped different than the other one, but they're, it's all pretty much the same shit. Uh, so it's more of a, oh, okay. Um, I'm going to skip ahead because I don't follow the order, right? I'll go and do whatever thing I feel compelled to do at that time. So, you know, maybe I'm building the head assembly and, uh, you know, take it apart, make sure I understand how it goes back together, get it cleaned up and ready to go. And then I may reference like the exploded view just to make sure that I've got the right shim dimensions or whatever. Yeah. But the, the TDR two was really the first build in a long time where, I felt like I was tied to the manual. Like I couldn't get through it unless I read the manual. Hmm. Yeah. For new heli, new kit, I'll, I'll follow the manual for the, for the most part, same sort of thing might jump out of order here and there, but I'm it's open. I'm using it. Yeah. I, I suppose I am too. It's just the, the order, the manual's always there. Uh, and it's generally open, but I'm, for the most part, not building what page it's sitting at, unless I need to look at something specific. As always, I'm curious to hear what what uh, tips and tricks the listeners have. So Absolutely, maybe when yeah. we yeah, we definitely. post up this thread in Heli Freak or on Facebook, feel free to respond or shoot us an email or whatever. Because uh, no matter what, we can always learn. Absolutely. Well, someone tell us what Gorilla Glue is. Yeah, I'll go research it after the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we'll wrap this one up, but first we should do some emails. Nick, if I wanted to get in touch with you, how would I do that? Uh, you would send me an email to nick at rchelination.com or catch me on Facebook at nicklinrchn. How about you, Justin? You could send me an email at justin at rchelination.com or catch me on Facebook or the forums as Justin Pucci. And Jesse. You could send me an email to jesse at rchelination.com or catch me on Facebook as well. I'm Dan. You can reach me at dan at rchelination.com and Dan K. Reed on the forums and Facebook. If you have a question about your citizen registration or... Maybe you want to check out some cool shirts or you just want to say hi to Ken, you can do that at Ken at rchillynation.com. 
And uh, let's see, Facebook, check us out there. We're cruising along. That's where we post up the show and a few other little tidbits every now and again. And uh, a good place to find out what's happening and also get in touch with some other listeners is the listeners corner there on Haley Freak. And I do think that one uh, does about, that about does it. We'll go ahead and wrap this one. We'll wrap this one up. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> good call, Dan. All righty, guys. This has been episode 238. I'm sure you enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed making it. Have a good week. See you next Monday. Later. Later, guys. Take it easy, dudes. This has been a production of RC Heli Nation LLC and is brought to you by BK Designs, Soco Heli Tools, Progressive RC, Rev Electrics USA, Lower Heli, Superiosity, and MSH USA. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, please feel free to send us an email. Yeah.